I'm not sure how many of you have heard about Rob Klassen's brother. Uh, he's very, very sick with cancer. Um, it looks like he doesn't have much time left. Um, so if we could please uh, keep them and their family in your prayers. Uh, whatever God's will is in this, uh, pray that it will be done. I pray for his healing, of course, but I pray that God will be glorified through this whole situation. Um, you know, maybe some family members will come to Christ through this. I don't know the, the plan of this. Um, I hate cancer, honestly, uh, but I know it, it, it can be used uh, for God's glory, um, as awful of a disease as, as it is. So I pray that, or I ask you if you would please pray for Rob and his family and for his brother. Um, that's on the depressing side. On the, the encouraging side, uh, Davy and Christina Mullinex had their baby on Friday. Health, healthy baby boy, uh, me and my girls went and saw him. I think I don't know what day it was. We went and saw him and just happy, happy, healthy kid. Um, Jed's gonna have a lot to teach him. Um, if you know Jed, that's funny because um, Jed is all over the place. Uh, but so thankful uh, for the healthy uh, birth of their son. Today we're gonna be in Luke chapter seven. And we're going to go back to our Follow His Steps series. We've been away from there for a while, studying different things, going through different, different topics. And uh, we, I guess the, the timing of this passage is, is following uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We, saw a few, we looked at a few of the passages in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered, and we, we talked about those, we studied those. Today we find just ten verses, ten pretty short, simple verses at least on the surface and and what we find in here is we find Jesus doing another miracle uh, we see that all throughout the gospels we see Jesus performing miracles uh, Jesus doing impossible things but because he is God nothing is impossible and he is able to accomplish these things uh, proving his deity giving glory to his father and as we look at this story I just I want to ask you all to yes it's a it's another story Yes, it's a great story. Yes, it's a good story. But I would like to ask you to consider that this is more than just a good story. Because in this story, we find real people. We find real struggles. We find real details. We find real faith. And we find real power. And I want you to stop and think about that, if you will. Like, this is just not some archaic fairy tale that we get to spend the next 20 minutes studying. This is the real thing that really happened in the life of real people with the real Messiah working. And I couldn't sleep last night, to be honest with you, thinking about that thought. Like, man, I don't want to study this just, just as, I don't want to present this just as another good story where we can go and listen and and we can kind of see some stuff. This is real life that really happened. And it had a real impact on the life of the characters in this story and spread throughout history, we'll find. And this is a real story with real truths that would affect us, should affect us today. What we have here is a real life account of God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% God in the flesh, interacting and impacting the real life situation of real people. 
which is what he really did when he was on this earth. It's an important enough situation. Yes, it's 10 verses that we might be fairly familiar with, but it's an important enough situation that God recorded it in his word and preserved it for, sev- or for several thousand years already. This simple story that we're going to look at has been preserved for us, important enough to be in the canon of Scripture. And my response is, I, maybe this is why I couldn't sleep last night, thinking of that, God having something so important to tell us, that he would preserve it for so long and it will continue to be preserved for all eternity, is a promise that we have. His word will not pass away. Maybe that's why I couldn't sleep and just thinking, wow. God has something important for us. So let's just not sit here and think, man, Pastor Ben's horrible at telling stories, or he messed that up, or whatever. It's more than a story. Let's look at our text. Let's, I'll actually read the first 10 verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll start in verse number 1. Luke chapter 7, verse number 1. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying, that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you so much that we can spend these next few moments together, that we can look into your word, that we can see your truths. I pray that you will please give us understanding. Please um, help me to have clear thoughts. Please help me to say what, what you want me to say, what I'm supposed to say. Um, please just give me understanding as I speak, Lord. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you care for us. I thank you for your faithfulness and your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Thank you that we can confidently place our faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So verse number one, we've talked a little bit about the timing of this event. We see, now when he had ended all his sayings, in the audience of the people, he entered, he entered into Capernaum. So the timing of this event would be following the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the account in Matthew, I think that's in Matthew chapter 8, verses, I think it's 1 through 
1 through 13, you can find this story. There's two other miracles. Jesus performs one before this, and he performs one after this. But we see the timing of this as Jesus getting done speaking the Sermon on the Mount. Following that, he comes down, he comes into Capernaum. Capernaum literally means a city of Nahum, if you were wondering what Capernaum meant. So that's where this is going to take place. Capernaum was the headquarters of Jesus during his Galilean ministry. Uh, it was on the northwest shore of the, of, the, of the Sea of Galilee. If you look at your map, you can find Capernaum there somewhere. Um, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus would rebuke this city for their exalted view of themselves. So Jesus would have a problem with Capernaum. He spoke of coming destruction to Capernaum. This eventually came true, and its destruction was so complete that its precise location is unknown. We know that it was somewhere on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, but the destruction Jesus said would come actually came, and it was pretty big. The people of Capernaum thought too highly of themselves and too little of Jesus Christ. And that's the, that's the problem, part of the problem with why there was destruction there. They didn't believe on Jesus and who he was. Um, they thought too little of Jesus and too much of themselves. And this is a huge problem. Huge problem still today. Several thousand years later, we find people thinking too highly of themselves and too little of Jesus Christ. And uh, we'd we could talk about that through all history, of people forsaking God and following themselves. We need Jesus no matter who we are, what we have, or where we live. Jesus should be exalted highly. Jesus goes into Capernaum. At the same time, there is a servant boy that is sick. And we're... We're kind of going somewhat quickly through this, uh, but I want us to get some of these details, though, some of the idea where Capernaum, why Capernaum had problems, some significance of Capernaum, which we've been looking at. Um, and I want you to kind of be able to see where Jesus was, where this was happening, kind of the problem of the people there rejecting Jesus, of the nation of Israel rejecting Jesus. And as we get into verse number 2, and a certain centurion's servant. I want to talk first what a centurion is. It would be a Roman soldier who is in charge of a hundred men. That's the centurion title, the century there. He was a, a soldier in charge of 100 other soldiers. To have this rank, he would have had to be strong, responsible, reliable, brave, loyal, and a skilled fighter. It's just not a, a position that is handed out. So why am I telling you all these details, you might be wondering. I want you to see the character here that we're talking about. He is an important person in the Roman military, in charge of people. His responsibilities would have included um, keeping order, enforcing the law, and overseeing the collection of taxes. So when you're that guy that has to do that, just the collecting taxes part rubs people the wrong way. But there's a very good possibility that a whole lot of people don't like you, right? Maybe a few heads not. I mean, this is a guy that's in charge of maintaining the law, the, the Roman law, if you will. 
He would have been a Gentile, but he's, he's in a Jewish place. Typically, there was a great possibility for centurions to, to not be thought of too highly by the Jews. First of all, they're a Gentile. Second of all, they're collecting taxes and enforcing rules. We will see that this is not the case with this centurion, which is, I think it's very important. Keep reading in verse number two. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. So this centurion had a servant, covered that. He probably had lots of servants. But this servant, in verse number two, it comes from the Greek word doulos, which means a slave or a servant. But down in verse number seven, it's translated a different Greek word. I don't know if you caught me say it was a servant boy. Did that throw like a, a red flag to anybody? Hold on, it says a servant. How do you know it's a servant boy? The Greek word um, pahis is translated slave, um, but it also implies a boy or a young man. So this, this slave, this servant to this centurion was a young boy, was a young man. And slaves were typically thought of and treated very poorly, as we know history tells us that. And as I read the way the culture back then thought about their, their slaves or their servants, they were, they were purchased, so they paid for them, and they treated them as a purchased tool. And it's pretty, it was pretty gut-wrenching to see how they treated these people. Um, they, their idea was they were only better than an animal in the sense that they could speak. Um, very, they were treated very poorly. They didn't necessarily care about their life or their death, what happened to them. It was even said that life and death was in the hands of their, their owners. So we have a centurion who has this slave, but he doesn't treat him like a slave. Look, look how he acts to this servant. It says, And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. So that, that phrase there, was dear unto him, was not consistent with how it was in the day. He loved this, this servant of his. He took good care of him. And I would imagine he took care of all of his servants to care about them like this, to love them like this. He cared for him very much. This centurion servant was so sick that he was about to die. In Matthew's account, it says that he had palsy, um, some so form of paralysis. Um, Matthew also tells us that he was tormented greatly. So this young servant boy was in great pain. He had some form of palsy. He couldn't, he was no good to his master, if you think about it. A paralyzed servant who is sick and can't do anything, in that culture has no value to his master. But we have a master here, this centurion, who actually cares about his people. And we see his love that he has for this, this young servant. And I want us to consider the culture that it was going on and that this was not normal for a person to treat a servant like this, to actually love them and care about them and have a concern for their life in so much that he's going to take action for him and get people to go talk to Jesus on his behalf. So we have, we have 
Jesus coming to Capernaum. We have this centurion with a sick slave boy. We have a problem. This slave boy is about to die. The servant's about to die. But this centurion hears Jesus is coming. And he has automatically some faith, some thought that this Jesus can do something for this person that I care so much about. So much to the point, look at verse number three. He cares so much. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. So he tries to get Jesus to heal his servant. Cares so much, tries to get Jesus to come. But did you see that he sent leaders in the Jewish community to go talk to Jesus? He didn't go talk to Jesus himself. He sent messengers. And as you read uh, the account in Matthew, consider that context in comparison with this passage of, of this centurion sending messengers who would talk to Jesus on his behalf. And if you read the account in Matthew, you understand what I'm talking about. But for me, what kind of threw up the, the red flag was why in the world would these Jews who would have probably hated this Roman soldier, this Roman commander, why would they go for him? Why would they be willing to go for this man to talk to Jesus on his behalf? There must have been something special about this centurion. And it says a lot about this Gentile that the Jews would do this for him. We've seen his care and his compassion. We saw his love for his servant. So we understand there's something different about this man. But this tells us he had earned respect and favor in the Jewish community. And for a Gentile back in the day, that says a whole lot. Because there was not a lot of love there. Look at, look at verse 4. And when they came to Jesus... They besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. So interesting situation. These Jewish leaders are going to Jesus, who is a Jew, and they're begging him to heal this centurion's servant boy. That we saw that in verse number number three. They besought him. They come to Jesus and they start talking to him instantly. Hey, come help us out. This centurion has a need. But did you see how it says he was worthy for whom he should do this? They're saying this Gentile was worthy for Jesus to do something for. This Gentile was worthy for this Jewish leader, this Jewish teacher, this Messiah, which they didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but they knew he could work miracles. They said this guy that's asking for something, he's worthy. And you should, you should do it for him. Interesting that they would try to tell Jesus who's worthy and who's not worthy. But think about them emphasizing this worthiness. They were coming from a group of people that were largely trusting in their works of righteousness for their worthiness. That's how they would be elevated in their society was by their works of righteousness or by the, the different laws that they would keep, things they would do, things that they wouldn't do. And they would be elevated in their society and they would have this pride and they would count themselves worthy. Which we know in dealing with Jesus, Jesus looks right past all those works of righteousness. 
they say this man is worthy. And I want us to think about our works do not earn us favor before God. Our works do not make us worthy before God. You can see their confusion. You can kind of understand their confusion, how they were saying this man is worthy because why? They were emphasizing on his, on his works and what, what he had done for them. Just as they would emphasize for themselves that they would be worthy to stand before God because of the way that they had kept them. And Jesus is going to address that in, in a few minutes here. But they go to tell Jesus why this man is worthy for Jesus to heal his servant. Verse 5, they explain why he's worthy. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. So he's worthy because he loves us. He cares about us. He cares about the Jewish nation. And then he built us a synagogue. We talked about the synagogue a few weeks back. Talked about if you got ten men together, you could get a synagogue started. And here we have a Gentile Roman soldier who loved the nation, who was willing to build a synagogue. He put his money into it. He put his effort into it. I don't know how he built it. Maybe he supplied the materials. Maybe he built the walls. I don't know. But he put his money where his mouth was. He says, I love this nation. I love their God. And I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to build you this synagogue. And it appears that this centurion had a desire to learn and to understand God's word. Because that's what they did in the synagogue. What they were supposed to do was read God's word and, and talk about it and discuss it and teach God's word. Jesus already, I feel like I'm going 100 miles an hour and trying to pull all these facts together. So I, I, hope, I hope that we're somewhere close here. Because Jesus already knows everything about this centurion. He understands his motives. He understands his faith. He understands what the centurion is doing. He understands his need before the messengers even come to tell Jesus, this man needs your help, Jesus knew exactly everything about the centurion. Okay, so they are going, the messengers are going to tell Jesus, this guy needs this and he's worthy. And Jesus, all-knowing, they don't need to tell Jesus who's worthy and who is not worthy. And there's only one way to be worthy before God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the Jewish leaders are speaking to God in the flesh, to the Messiah, the all-knowing God. And they still feel the need to proclaim the centurion's worthiness. Look at verse number 6. Because they tell Jesus this, and then Jesus goes with them. Jesus knowing how the whole situation was going to play out. And when he was now not far from the house, so Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. Goes with him. Jesus gets close to the centurion's house. The centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. So Jesus starts walking with them, starts walking to this centurion's house. And I picture this centurion kind of peeking out the window of his house, 
like watching, when Jesus going to come? When Jesus going to get here? And I picture him seeing Jesus getting close. He has some friends with him. He says, go out and tell Jesus not even to come to my house, not even to come under my roof, because I am not worthy. Do you see a different attitude between the centurion and between the, the Jews who were trusting in works of righteousness to be worthy of God? This centurion, we'll find out, had great faith, faith that amazed Jesus, which is an incredible thought in itself. But his response to Jesus was, I am not worthy. He had faith in Jesus. It's like he understood that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ that would take away the sins of the world. And he understood, this Gentile understood and had faith in this Messiah that the Jews, his own people, didn't have the faith to believe. They didn't acknowledge it. His response to Jesus was, stop, don't come to my house, I'm not worthy of you. I need your help, I believe you can help me, but stop right there. He had faith that Jesus would come because he's kind of, he knows Jesus is coming because when he gets close, he sends out messengers. Jesus gets close, he sends another round of messengers. They tell, or he tells Jesus, I am not worthy, or you are, I am not worthy that you would come into my house. And it's incredible to see how big his faith in Jesus is here. And how he has this understanding of who Jesus is. Look at verse 7. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. So we see how big his faith in Jesus is. He recognizes that Jesus had the power to heal his servant right there. That Jesus was not bound or Jesus was not limited by distance. That Jesus could say right where he was, your servant's healed. And this man had faith that Jesus would heal his servant. Just say the word. I believe in you and your power. I believe that the distance presents no barrier to your power. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in what you can do. Look at verse number 8. For I also am a man set under authority having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. At first glance, at least to me, maybe I'm just a little slow, it seems that this man is bragging about who he was. But that's not the case at all, because he just told Jesus, I'm not worthy of you. What he is saying is, I understand the power that you possess. I can tell people to do stuff and they will do it. I can tell people to go give a message, they'll go give a message. But he recognizes the power and authority of Jesus. And it's like he's saying, I believe you have power and authority over all, even sickness and death. Remember this boy was sick unto death? I believe if you give the command, even from here, my servant will be healed. That's pretty incredible faith. He says, Jesus, I believe if you say it, it'll happen. He's not looking for a sign. He says, Jesus, heal my servant. If you say it, I believe that it will happen. 
absolute famous. You have power over sickness and death. What an incredible faith that we see. How often do we hear stories of or do we even put ourselves in a situation where, God, if, if you'll do this, I'll believe in you. If you'll show me this, I'll trust in you. I'll have some faith in you. If you'll make this happen in my life, well, then I know that I can trust you. Ever heard of that? Here we see a man that has the faith in Jesus to believe that at his word, no matter what, if he commands, it will happen, even from a distance. Look at verse number 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So Jesus heard what he said. Jesus marvels at this man's faith. Think about that. Jesus marveling at someone's faith. Nothing took Jesus by surprise. But this man's faith, Jesus marveled at. He hears this. And try to picture this scene with me, if you will. He hears what the centurion has to say. He stops. He turns to the crowd of people following him. And he's going to rebuke them. This Gentile has more faith than I have found among the nation of Israel. Not just in the towns and, and cities of Israel, but he's talking about among the people of, among the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. This man here, this Gentile, has more faith than I have found from all of you. Could you imagine all these Jews following Jesus? How they felt about that? This, this centurion having more faith than them who were God's chosen people. And Matthew tells us he had more to say than that. Flip back with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 8. Same account of the same story, just from Matthew's perspective. Start in verse number 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed. Sorry, picture in this, Jesus stopping and turning around to the crowd. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So here we go. Here's some rebuke. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter or shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in that selfsame hour. So Matthew's account of this rebuke of Jesus to the nation of Israel. He speaks to them. What I'll just, I guess, interpret it the way that I understand it. There are going to be people from all over, Gentiles included, in the kingdom of heaven that will come by faith. There are Jews trusting in their pedigree and their works that think they are part of the kingdom. 
but they will be cast out because they have not believed in me. As we talked about earlier, they were trusting in their self-righteousness, in their keeping of the law, in their keeping of even some man-made rules is where they were looking for their righteousness, for their, their worth to be found in God was through what they could do and what they had done. And who they were, they were part of the nation of Israel. So they thought that that meant for them we have an easy, easy ride in because of who we are and because of what we've done into God's kingdom. And Jesus makes it clear here, hey, there's many people that think you get a, a free ride in because of your works. That's not the case. And we see this Gentile that, he's, that he is talking about, his great faith, he counted himself unworthy. He was not worthy to be around Jesus. His works didn't mean anything. His building of the synagogue didn't mean anything as far as making him righteous before God. It was only through Jesus Christ. Um, we're not justified by the works of the law. No flesh is justified by the works of the law. But through Jesus Christ. Period. And he rebukes these people and he makes it very clear for them to understand. Hey, just because who you are, because of what you've done, doesn't mean you're part of the kingdom of God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Then he turns back to the centurion and says, Go home. As you've believed, it has been done. Your servant is healed. He had real faith. You believed I could, and I did. Back to Luke chapter 7, verse number 10. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. The messengers went home, and sure enough, the servant was healed. Jesus did exactly what he said he could do. And there's a lot that went in, a lot of details in this story. And we went quickly through the story. But I, I just want to point out some highlights, I guess, if you will, from the story. We saw genuine love that led to genuine action. We saw some incredible faith. We saw an incredible perspective, the I'm unworthy perspective. And I, I want us to think about that because it's, it's so easy for us to, to look, look at people who were, who were trusting in who they were or, or what they had done and to say, well, you know, what's wrong with you? It's, it's only through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, through his, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, through that can God's wrath be satisfied? We can look at them and say, what's wrong with you? But I wonder how often do we, do we gauge ourselves by what, what we have done? Are we counting on what we have done to make us righteous before God? Because if that's the case, there's a big problem according to God's word. The only way to be justified to be declared righteous, to have God's wrath satisfied for our sin debt is through Jesus Christ. Not Jesus Christ plus I do this and this and this and I go to church three times a week. It is through Jesus Christ. 
Yes, there should be fruit. We, we should be serving God, but that is not what earns God's favor. That is not what makes us stand before God and Him say, you are justified because you did this. It is only through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And that's what these, these people who are trusting in themselves or who they were missed. And Jesus clearly rebukes that thought process here. So we see an incredible perspective of this man recognizing he was unworthy. Then we see incredible power of Jesus. Don't overlook that, where he spoke and a guy who was about to die was healed. Don't miss that. And then the important message. We need Jesus. Our self-righteous deeds leave us wanting before God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. What, what is our faith in today? Is it in the Messiah? Or is it in what we have done? I, I want us to think about that. It's such an important question. Because our faith needs to be in Jesus as the only way. And then, just briefly, we saw this man's faith. And I wonder if, if uh, how, how is our, our faith? Not that we're, I mean, not that we're gauging ourselves or comparing ourselves to this man. But do we believe God is who he claims to be? And that he can do what he says he can do. Or we can have this faith to trust in him to save us, to forgive us of our sins, to declare us righteous. But do we have the faith that he can help us day to day? Because that first one is huge. That's all. We're putting our whole life, our eternity in that faith. If we can believe in him for that, I can't. We trust him. Hasn't he proven himself faithful? We might not like the road or the bumps, but hasn't God proven himself faithful where we can have that faith and that confidence in him? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, this passage of scripture for the sensitive truths that that we can find in here i thank you for the perspective that we can see i thank you um, for what you did to appease your father's wrath that you gave your life you shed your perfect blood so that we can have hope of being declared righteous and that we can spend eternity with you and i pray that you will just help us to consider now are we trusting in you for our justification, for our salvation? Do we have that confidence in you, in you alone? I pray that you will help us, that you will help our faith. Um, please just help us now as we spend some time in prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.